My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'll be taking you on a journey to find the mysterious media mogul Matt Drudge, founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who have worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. Hopefully, he'll even sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another round. We had a big bear of a man, he's called Mal Evans, who's on roadie, and uh, I was coming back on the plane, and he said, will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. <laughs> I said, what? Salt and pepper? Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Tudor Dixon Podcast. I am really excited about today's conversation. I honestly don't know which direction it's going to go. I read a recent op-ed in the Dallas Morning News about the biggest problem facing Christianity. So I was, of course, completely intrigued. I've been accused of not being Christian enough. I've been accused of being part of that problem with Christianity. Maybe I'm too Christian. I don't know. For some people, I don't know what that means. But we have Pastor Jeff Jones with us today, and he says that it is a brand problem in the Christian faith, which I am, I'm like, okay, what does that mean? So I feel like there could be parts today that we agree on, and there might be parts that we disagree on, but I'm really anxious to get to the conversation. And regardless of what we think, I know we are both going to agree that we want to ensure that followers of Jesus have a strong spiritual health. And I, and I say that because I don't want you to forget your physical health either, because we can't put a price on our health. And I like to stay energized and keep doing what I love every day because I get the maximum servings and nutrition of fruits and vegetables. I rely on balance of nature's fruits and veggies in a capsule to give me the maximum nutrition of 31 real whole fruits and veggies every day. Balance of nature is giving all listeners 35% off any first preferred order plus free shipping with promo code tutor. So just Go to balanceofnature.com, enter promo code TUTOR, and get started today. Balance of Nature's fruits and veggies in a capsule are powered after an advanced vacuum cold process, keeping the maximum nutrition intact. Put your health first the easy way with Balance of Nature's fruits and veggies in a capsule. Get 35% off your first preferred order, shipped to you free with promo code TUTOR at balanceofnature.com. I feel confident about my health because of Balance of Nature. Check out all the testimonials from people like you on their website to see how Balance of Nature is making a difference in their lives. Go now to balanceofnature.com and get 35% off your first preferred order shipped free with promo code TUTOR. Now let's get back to spiritual health. Our guest today, Jeff Jones. Jeff is a lead pastor of Chase Oaks Church. It's a multi-site church in Dallas and the author of the book, Rebranding Christianity. Thank you so much, Jeff, for being here. Uh, thank you so much. I'm, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Well, I'm anxious to get to it. So you said that this is going to help us have this conversation at Thanksgiving. I know that Thanksgiving <laughs> is right around the corner. There's a lot of conversations like this. I actually got a message from my mother-in-law last night saying she's excited to talk about my podcast from a few days ago over Thanksgiving. Yeah. So I'm not sure where that's going to go. So tell me okay. what we're doing wrong, because we've obviously, the church has, has been shrinking. You talk in the article about it used to be 90% of people were going to church and now we've reduced down to 60%. We're losing the younger generation. I mean, and I've seen this in my own family, yeah. my sister-in-law's in her twenties and, and they're real churchgoers. So what happened? Such a, such a great question. So yeah, when you look at, if you want to get depressed, let's say you're <laughs> having a good day and you want to just get a little discouraged. All you have to do is uh, Google Gen Z and Christianity, right? And you'll see the mm. repulsion of that generation and the exodus of that generation. And 
And a lot of that is about how Christianity is perceived. And so in the book, Rebraining Christianity, you know, what we're talking about is that the, the we who are his followers are given the responsibility to manage the brand, so to speak. I mean, he said, this is how you'll be known. And if we're not known that way, then we have a problem. And so, uh, you know, the... So what we'd love to see, right, is is to gain influence as Christians and culture, because that's good for culture. That's good for everything. When that happens, we're losing influence. And there's all kinds of reasons for that. But I believe we have to take responsibility as Christians for how we're how we're perceived and how we're managing the brand of Christianity. And we can talk about well, what is the brand of Christianity, right? But uh, but I, I, you know, the faith of the next generation is at stake. And that's why I wrote the book. I really didn't want to write a book. I. I'm not a controversial person. I don't enjoy that. Uh, there's some controversial things in there, and I don't expect everybody to agree with everything that's in there. But I couldn't on my watch continue to see the next generation leaving Christianity, and I just had to ask myself the question, is what is the faith, what is the faith of the next generation worth? And I think it's worth just about everything. So what does that mean? Because I know I, I think that I mean, in my church, I would say that there's a constant conversation, a pretty regular conversation that there are truths in the Bible that are tough. There is a calling on Christians that is different than the average person. And sometimes that can be a hard pill to swallow because it means you can't live a life that is filled with sin. So how do you reconcile that? Because I think some critics of yours would say, well, you're offering a, a a watered down version of what the Bible is saying. So argue against that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I certainly don't want us to be less of who Jesus called us to be, but much more of who Jesus called us to be. Mm. And, and his bottom line, which is really interesting of all the things he could have said, you know, and the, this is how you should be known. This is, this is your thing. This is how we roll. And he could have named a lot of things. You should be known as the most moral people on the planet, which that's a good thing to be moral. You should be known as the most right people on the planet, which, well, we have truth. It's good to be right, way better than being wrong. Um, you know, there's lots of ways he, we could, he could have given us the brand. But what he said in the new command is, this is how people know you're my followers. If you love people the way I love you, that, so what do that's you think, the way we should be known. What do you think Christians are doing that's turning off this this young generation? I mean, I know that when I was running for office, abortion was a big issue, right? That was the biggest issue. And so that was kind of the spiritual issue for Christians it was like, you're, that was how you were judged. Are you going to stand for life? But then this next generation, a lot of the young people in that generation felt like that was so alienating to them. But the, on the subject of life, I mean, where is their wiggle room on your own feeling toward it, you know? So how do you reconcile that? How do you bring people around to some, an issue like that? Sure. So, you know, I, I, I'm a pastor and I'm a biblicist, right? So I, I certainly believe in the value of every life, including the unborn. So positionally, there's no wiggle room, you know, to change our position on life and on, but the New Testament talks a whole lot, not only about our position and how you know, holding on to truth, because I believe it's loving to hold on to truth. I don't believe it's loving to act like truth is not true. Hmm. Um, and we could talk more about that. But the Bible talks a whole lot about how we as Christians posture ourselves in a way that, that gives every opportunity for people to be pulled toward what we believe as opposed to be repulsed by what we believe. And so when you say, well, what's gone wrong, I, I think, to be honest, and I'm part of it, I, I'm not throwing rocks from the outside. I'm, I'm a pastor of an evangelical church in Dallas, Texas. And I think, I, I, I don't think we've postured ourselves as well as we could. And I think there's times that we've entered into, in a polarized world, we've entered into the polarization and the vitriol, as opposed to rising above that and so demonstrating you, the love of Jesus. So do you think that? There are two. Are you saying there are too many Christians out there that 
like the Pharisees were wearing the scripture on their sleeve that are like pulling that out and saying, well, hey, according to my Bible right here, you're wrong. This is not what you should be doing. And so unless you are following this exactly, I can't love you. I think that is part of it. And that's the way you were perceived. I don't think anybody would want to be perceived that way or think they're doing that. But it's right. the way it can come across, right? We can come across in our rightness and our desire to have our position valued and honored. And we believe it's best when that happens. Of course we do, because we believe it's true. But if we represent that truth in a way that where we come across as a bully or the least likely people to listen, you know, the New Testament tells us to be humble and gentle to everyone and at all times. And that's not easy to do. Mm. And so when we, when we violate our posture, when we violate tone, and the New Testament talks a whole lot about tone and a whole lot about posture and how we engage our culture, when we don't engage in a compelling way, that we actually do truth a disservice. We push people away. And what we really want to do is create a sense of pull, not push. Uh, create a, a curiosity, like Peter said to the Christians in Rome, to live in such a way that you silence the people who say bad things about you. In fact, make them ashamed they ever did because of your, the way you live your life. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. How could the most powerful man in media just vanish from public life? My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'm a reporter who's covered politics for years. And in this podcast, I'm going to travel far and wide searching for the reclusive Matt Drudge, the founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who've worked with him, dined with him and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. I'll also be chasing down tips from you, the listener, through a special hotline. So if you know where Drudge is right now or have a great Drudge story that might help us better understand the mysterious media mogul, please give us a call at 301-200-2414. Hopefully by the time this show ends, the man who knows Drudge best, Matt Drudge himself, will break his silence and sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. We break open modern day conspiracies and tell you which elements may be the real deal. Like, did Bill Gates use COVID vaccines to microchip us all? We all do have tracking devices. Mm -hmm. We carry them around. We spend a lot of money on them. And what's actually on Hunter Biden's laptop? You are talking to the guy that has three of Hunter Biden's laptops and cell phone. And what did the deep state build under Denver airport? Do you think there are secret bunkers? That's just on my list of questions I have about Jesse Ventura. It's our mission to get to the heart of these conspiracy theories and figure out the why, the how, and especially the if. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, in the Bible, I think that it's, it's to me, Jesus is saying, you are in the world, you are not of the world. So you are to be in the world and teaching and be living like me in the world and draw people to 
Christ so that when you are no longer in this world, you go to heaven, you save people, right? So he obviously, we know that he spoke to people in the Bible that the the teachers and the rabbis were like, oh my goodness, this guy is not, he's not a Jew because you can't do that. You know, that's against the rules. Moses told us he can't do that. How could he do this if this is against the rules? And so there was a lot of, I mean, obviously they were, they crucified him, right? They're like, this, we got to get rid of this guy. Yeah. He's a bad guy. Sure. Um, so how do you, how do you show that he was loving? But, but there were moments though, where he still said, you can't do this. You know, when he, when he went and overturned the tables in the temple, he was saying, you, you still, there are still rules. There are rules. I think that people come in and they say, well, he came in and with the new Testament, he threw out all the rules but he didn't throw out the rules. So how do you bring people? Because I think that you talked about culture. Culture has become no rules. You know, we don't have, we don't have, we don't punish crime. We sure. don't want people to get in trouble if they don't have their assignment at school. So, you know, we're not going to grade anymore. I mean, we've become a society of no rules, but Jesus didn't say there are no rules. So how do you, and I think that's been a bit of the turnoff with Christianity is I don't want to follow the rules. You know, I don't want to have to go someplace where they tell me this is what we expect of you. And even if you are loving and you are drawing people in. So I guess I would say you listen to my podcast about going to Bible study for the first time. And that's how I felt. I'm like, oh no, these people are going to make mm -hmm. me change who I am. And there's this fear of changing who you are. And it was this message of when you become a Christian, your life is going to change. The people around you are going to change. You're going to choose different people. And that's scary. But they didn't force me to do that. It was just a change that happened to me as I became, grew deeper and deeper in my faith. But how do right. you get people there? Yeah, I, I think your story is a great illustration of grace plus truth over time leads to transformation. And so when Jesus came, you know, John tells us in John 1 that he came full of grace and full of truth. And he's really careful about how he words it. He didn't say he came. 40% grace, 60% truth. He was full of both. He never compromised grace and he never compromised truth because it's not gracious to compromise truth. Mm. And the greatest truth in the world is grace. So, you know, mm. and so he came full of grace and full of truth. But what you, how you see Jesus relate is the order is really important. So he always led with grace. Um, and then he pointed people to truth. And the way I talk about that is he had a wide welcome to a narrow path. And he had a narrow path because it's good and wonderful and perfect. Like Paul says, you know, in Romans 12, it's good. You know, God's truth is not random. It's not arbitrary. He made the world. He knows how human flourishing will work. So it wouldn't be loving for us to act like that's not true, right? We want to point people to truth. But he had a wide welcome to a narrow path. And, and, it, and that path gets more narrow over time as we open up ourselves to hopefully relationship with Jesus that be, then begins to change us over time. But it's, it's grace plus truth over time. So if you are familiar with the Bible, and I know you are, but listeners, um, like the woman caught in adultery, mm. and they bring her, right? And he says, grace, uh, I don't condemn you. Um, but then truth, right? He says, but go and sin no more. Don't do this anymore. And then he looks at his disciples and he said, the son of man talking about himself did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. And so he's not condemning her, but saving her from a life of sin and just saying, hey, this is, you can do so much better. Don't, don't do this. Right. But it's grace and welcome. I don't condemn you plus truth over time. And, and therefore, you know, if I'm going to relate like Jesus, then I'm going to have the widest welcome. Um, I'm going to be the most loving, welcoming, gracious, kind, gentle, listening person on the planet. Um, but in relationship over time, right, I'm, I'm going to share truth. I'm going to point to truth. And if, I'm, and if I'm doing that well, we're told to relate to culture. And the, and the early Christians did it. I mean, it's a great study of how to win over a hostile world, a pre-Christian world. We're now a post-Christian world um, that we become an irresistible force for good if we love the way Jesus loved, 
demonstrate grace as he demonstrated it. It's not that we'll win over everybody. We won't. But we give people the best opportunity to be, to again, create pull, to create curiosity and pull about what we have to say, people wanting more, not less. Do you think that part of our issue today is the the time part of it? Because I feel like people are very impatient. And so I Mm -hmm. see not only in the church, but I see even folks who are online talking about scripture and talking about Christianity. It's like the time is now. And there is not that, I mean, really that's grace, right? You you give people time to to come to it. And sin doesn't go away overnight. And, And really, let's face it. I mean, Sin travels with us. We are not perfect people. It, there is no one that walks into church that is Jesus. There is no one. You can walk right. in his path, but we are not perfect. And so we cannot say, well, I can't go to that church because it's perfect. But as a pastor or a congregant, you can't say you can't come to our church because you are not where I am, because none of us are where Jesus is. And I think that's been kind of the place where a lot of Christians get hung up like it we are it's hard for us to see if somebody is in some sort of a sinful situation and you know it let's face mm-hmm. it where everybody of every one of us is walking in there sick and needing healing right but we are right. likely to look at someone else and go but they're they are more sick <laughs> you know, yeah, they're sicker yeah. than me so I'm yeah. not sure this is the place <laughs> why is it that we do that Great question. And religious people, there's just something about us that just do that. It's not the way of Jesus, mm-hmm. but it's the way of religion, right? And you you talked about Jesus, you know, ha, you know, being very uh, willing to enter into conflict over truth. But that was especially the religious people, like the Pharisees, you know, who's who he was hardest on. And you know, so he, you know, they were worried. They were all concerned about Jesus welcoming the people and being a friend of sinners and tax collectors. And they assumed that meant he was a glutton and a drunkard because they confused uh, welcome with agreement. And Jesus, you know, Jesus wasn't a drunkard. He wasn't. That happened at those parties that he went to, but he wasn't involved in that. And they're upset because he enters into the home of a tax collector who became one of the disciples, Matthew. And he looks at him and he says, hey, the son of man didn't come for the healthy, but the sick. and Meaning the church is a hospital for sinners to get better, you know, not a place for perfect people to uh, shove out everybody who's not perfect, right? And so uh, the Pharisees, of course, were sinners too. And it's amazing how impatient we are with people who sin differently than we do, you know, and that I think is, um, I think that's been an issue even when I've seen some of these influencers who become voices for the Christian church. And it's a strange situation because they get this, this very big pulpit to, to speak from, right? And they have, and people believe that they are the voice of the church, whether that is the, ma- the majority, there are people out there that believe that that is the voice of the church. And they are putting out, this is how you must live. And I mean, even in the political world, we've seen this, and this has been something that I have really struggled with because I've seen influencers in the political world who are Christian influencers, and they've said, God calls you to marry young, find a Christian husband who will lead the household, stay home with your kids. You are the Mm -hmm. the wife who should take care of. And, And I... You know, in in no case am I saying the husband should not be the head of the household. I believe in that family unit. I think that the way it is presented to young women who maybe are not in that situation, are not finding those men or are not having that or have gotten married and that is not their story, feel very much like I am not worthy of being with these people or I don't want to. I'm going to turn my back on this because of the massive guilt. There's so, so many people have a massive amount of guilt walking into a church and being told if you are a sinner, God is mad at you or that's what they hear. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And the church should be the place that has the widest welcome on the planet that anybody knows, no matter who they are, I can go and I'll be loved there and I'll be welcomed there and I'll be esteemed there no matter what, no matter what my struggle 
no matter what, you know, and, and that's the way Jesus related, right? He had the widest of welcomes into a narrow path. I mean, he pointed people to a narrow path over time, but it starts with a wide welcome. And in Christianity, you know, I, I'm involved in a, in order, when an organization that gathers together um, Christians who are LGBT, um, Christians who have a, a sexual orientation, and yet that, that is same-sex attracted, and yet hold on to a what, what I would believe is a biblical view of sexuality and marriage, where sex is in the context of marriage between a man and a woman. I believe that's what Jesus affirmed. So they affirm that, right? And But what most of them would say is that about the last place they can go to grow in their faith, they believe, is a church. Um, because they, they know they'll be judged. They'll be uh, rejected. They won't have time to work out their, you know, what that means for them and what it would mean to follow Jesus and what it would mean to submit that area of life to him. And it's a weird, one of the things we're just trying to do is help churches create an environment where anybody can come and know that they can be accepted into a relationship with Jesus that will transform our lives. And to say, hey, don't, you know, come in with your hands up, surrender, you know, to whatever God would want for you, whatever God would say to you. But that does take, as we've been talking about, it takes grace and it takes time in order to conform to truth. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. How could the most powerful man in media just vanish from public life? My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'm a reporter who's covered politics for years, and in this podcast, I'm going to travel far and wide searching for the reclusive Matt Drudge, the founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who've worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. I'll also be chasing down tips from you, the listener, through a special hotline. So if you know where Drudge is right now or have a great Drudge story that might help us better understand the mysterious media mogul, please give us a call at 301-200-2414. Hopefully by the time this show ends, the man who knows Drudge best, Matt Drudge himself, will break his silence and sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. We break open modern day conspiracies and tell you which elements may be the real deal. Like, did Bill Gates use COVID vaccines to microchip us all? We all do have tracking devices. Mm -hmm. We carry them around. We spend a lot of money on them. And what's actually on Hunter Biden's laptop? You are talking to the guy that has three of Hunter Biden's laptops and cell phone. And what did the deep state build under Denver airport? Do you think there are secret bunkers? That's just on my list of questions I have about Jesse Ventura. It's our mission to get to the heart of these conspiracy theories and figure out the why, the how, and especially the if. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So there are people who would say, that's not what God wants you to do because he's clearly spelled out that this is sin. Now, I will say again, everyone who walks through that door 
is sinful. I, I, when I was running for office, I was against the death penalty. And, I, and a lot of people were horrified by that because they wanted me to be, you know, everybody has an opinion mm-hmm. on what you should be. You right. should be for the death penalty. And I just, I couldn't, I just couldn't. And it was like, I was struggling with this because I'm like, that is not who I am. And I sat with a woman who is a great Christian mentor. And she said to me, if you were for that, why are you the one that could potentially take away their salvation that they may find while they're waiting, while they're going through their prison term? You know, why is it your place to take away their opportunity to find Christ? And I think that's a tough thing for Christians because we feel like we have to have justice and we have to serve God well. And to serve God well, we have to take certain pieces of the Bible and say, we have to live by it this way. But I mean, there is this uh, struggle inside of me that says, but if I say your sin is greater than my sin and therefore you can't seek Christ, am I robbing that person of salvation and their chance to live some way that Christ is wanting them to live. I love your heart meeting and it's consistent, you know, and and I think, and I know, you know, there's room for disagreement about death penalty or not death penalty for Christians. And and I understand I could argue both ways. Right. But, but certainly as we're representing something as beautiful as the preciousness of life for the unborn, for the immigrant, for the poor, um, as well as for the criminal, that's really consistent, right? Because we're valuing life, and which which I think is is compelling, even to people outside of um, outside of Christianity. Like I, I remember, you know, we're talking about how do we represent Jesus and hold on to truth, and and one incredible model to me. Uh, this was back in the Bill Clinton era, and Bill Clinton was giving an award to Mother Teresa. I don't remember what it was. It was a long time ago. It was in the 90s. And doesn't seem that long ago, but it was. (laughs) (laughs) I know. (laughs) That's true. I know. And, uh, yeah, so many things have changed, right? (laughs) Even, you know, Bill Clinton doesn't look nearly as bad as it, you know, it's like all of a sudden, you know, but anyway, it's a whole other thing, right? It's like, huh, we thought that was bad. But, But when you, you know, so he's giving this award to Mother Teresa, right? And so she, is there, they honor her, and they give her the microphone. And she starts talking about life and the preciousness of life, including the unborn. And she just goes there and just keeps going there. And you could see the tension in the room, you know, of the people behind her. And you've been in those, you know, oh, yeah. those press deals, right, where you've got a smile and the person speaking. Yeah, because who's going to stop Mother Teresa? <laughs> right. Who's going to stop Mother <laughs> Teresa, Right. But what a great, like, what a great model of influence mm-hmm. of living the way of Jesus in such a way that you engender so much respect that, like you said, who's going to, who's going to take the microphone away from her? Um, and because she's been consistent for so long and really known, I would say, like the way Jesus said we are to be known, love people, all people, the way. I've loved you. That's the way people know you're my disciples. And so the first thing people should think of when they think of Christian is that, is those are the most loving, wonderful, gracious people, most forgiving people, most generous people on the planet. So that if somebody finds out, you know, that somebody, you know, moves in next door, that's a Christian, they're like, I just got so lucky. Mm. A Christian movie. They believe some weird stuff, but wow, they're just amazing people. You know, that's the way we should be known, and and that's what creates the thirst for actually what we believe. You know, and what we have to say. And well, how do you describe this to kids, though? I mean, and I'm serious because I think that we have children growing up in schools and society that says anything goes and shun organized religion of any kind. And then we have kids like my kids are growing up in a Christian school and they'll oftentimes say, but mom, isn't that wrong? And it's been a a big conversation in our house where I think there is a, a serious struggle. We had 
you know, we have several friends that are a part of the LGBTQ community and the girls ask all the time, but they won't go to heaven. And I'm like, you know what? I don't know how that works, to be honest with you. I don't know what their relationship with God is. I make, I'm, I, I'm a sinner. I hope that that doesn't say that I can't go to heaven. I don't know how to have that conversation because I'm like, look, I want to welcome them into our lives. And, and I, and, and that's not necessarily what they are always taught in school. And it's a tough conversation with young people because certainly I never want my kids to be like, oh, we, mom, we can't talk to so-and-so because we learned this in school. And I just say, I don't, I don't think that Jesus would say that. But then I know that there will be Christians out there that will say, no, Jesus would say, if you're going to continue living that way, then you cannot be a part of my life. And I mean, I know people who refuse to go to ceremonies for LGBTQ people, and I don't know how to have that conversation. So how do you have that conversation? Yeah, again, I think Jesus is such a great model, you know, so in in Jesus's day, which is weird for us, right? But the worst sinners were tax collectors because they were oppressing I mean, I their think own... we feel the same. No. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> we just got a bunch more of them, right? Just like um, but, you know, right. So, but still, you know, you think, okay, like, like one of our campus pastors used to be an IRS agent, you know, so. Um, so they can be reformed. <laughs> I guess, I guess, so, yeah. But, um, you know, so we don't, you know, whatever we think about them, and, you know, they're not anybody's favorite, you know, people, right? But you, but it, it's kind of strange, right? To 2,000 years later or two, going 2,000 years ago, thinking, okay, that was considered like the worst of the worst, but it was. And then other sinners. So, friend of tax collectors and sinners. So, every generation has their worst list, you know, and it's, and it seems arbitrary going from generation to generation to generation because mm. it changes over time. Hmm. Yeah. And so in our era, it's it's really the LGBT community, right, that churches really struggle with and that we struggle to welcome. I mean, materialistic people, no problem. Uh, heterosexual <laughs> that's true. people. Drive up heteros- in my fancy Tesla with my fur coat. That, that's right. Heterosexual <laughs> people living together outside of marriage. People wear fur no coats problem. anymore, Come actually. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, right. It's It's that. Um, it's that community. So, so how did Jesus relate to people in that category? And, and he was a friend of sinners and tax collectors. And, um, and and I think he, he was called that by his enemies, but I think he wore that as a badge of honor. And so transformation happens in the context of acceptance and relationship, um, not in the context of uh, distancing myself and lobbing grenades. Right. That, that's mm. really not a way to influence anybody. But as we influence people, it happens in proximity. Right. We're to be salt and light, Jesus said. So salt, the only way salt works is if it has proximity to the meat, the steak or whatever it's touching. Right. Um, and so light, you don't hide it. You know, you you put it in a prominent place. Right. So you you don't move away from the people that you're wanting to influence. You move toward the people that you're wanting to influence and uh, with, with a relationship and with grace, which then gives the opportunity to, again, create pull toward truth and a better way. But if you lead with, I'm right and you're wrong, let me tell you why. Hmm. Well, no, none of us are going to, that's not going to pull us toward, nobody's going to be pulled toward that, right? No, so that's true to, in the political world as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, right. So you uh, you relate in a way. I mean, I mean, Paul said it. He said, you know, relate in in our world in a way that makes the teaching of God of, of Jesus our Savior attractive in every way. Meaning, we're to that the way we influence culture is in a it is not so much through a lens of warfare as it is through even though there is spiritual warfare going on. But not so much, but not so much through a lens of warfare with people, um, not fighting them, but actually an influence, more of a missionary, a missionary perspective where we, uh, it's not so much seeing culture as a battlefield, but as a mission field. And even people who disagree with us um, are not the enemy. They may be influenced by the enemy. I think it's a hard balance because Jesus, while he is loving and, and draws people in, 
he God still disciplines. He, they, he is the father of discipline and learning through discipline. And so how do you balance bringing people in, but also there are hard truths in the Bible and those, and like you said, you don't want to hide those truths. You have that, that wide mouth where people can come in. And then if they choose to leave, I think a lot of times just opening that door, that seed doesn't necessarily mean they're gone forever. And I think that's hard. Like I said, that Mm. timing part and the grace is hard for Christians because they're like, join and be a part of this and, and, you know, forget about all of the sin, even though they likely have not done that, like I said, but, but how do you, some people say, if you are too much like, okay, we're going to be an inclusive church, then are you really able to discipline and show what, what God's discipline is? Yeah. So, you know, I think on the welcome side, you include everybody, you know, Jesus said, in Matthew 11, come all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Um, but mm-hmm. then he also, so it's come. I mean, the only, the only command is come, it, which is a low bar. It's just come. <laughs> and, uh, but then um, he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So he is saying, walk with me into a whole new life. And he'll do the heavy lifting of transformation. That's why it's easy for us, light for us, mm-hmm. not burdensome to us. And so it's, hey, come as you are and walk with me into a whole new life. And so it's, it's a relationship with Jesus over time that changes people. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's one of the problems as Christians when we try to, we want to we be influential and want truth to win the day in culture, because culture is better when that happens. But like Paul said, we have to be careful not to judge those outside the church. As he said in 2 Corinthians, we should judge ourselves because we've signed up. Like we're Christians, we've signed up for this, right? People outside haven't. And and theologically, they don't have the Holy Spirit to help them conform with truth anyway or to begin to live by our standards. And so it's, it's not so much that I want people to be moral, even though, yeah, their moral is better than immoral. But what I really want is internal transformation that only happens in relationship with Jesus, I, at least in my theology. So and that's so, interesting. I think that that's where, so what I'm hearing, and and I'm really, honestly, I really am trying to figure out what what are we as a church doing that is driving people away. And I think what I'm hearing from you is, what I experienced is someone should call you to be a part of it but they are not going to transform you. And too often as Christians, we think that we're Jesus. We're going to transform you. We're going to force you into this mold. We can make you like the way Jesus wants you to be. It is not that. We are to give grace. We are to introduce to give grace and let Jesus transform. And that can take decades. Yes, and that's grace versus judgment, you know? And so... You know, I think if when you say, well, what's gone wrong, if we're supposed to be known as the most loving people on the planet, you know, when you look at, you know, we don't have to wonder how people outside of Christianity view Christians because there's so much polling data, you know, and and you can guess, anybody can guess the words that people use, uh, you know, outside of Christianity, how do you view a Christian? How would you describe a Christian? And it's, you could imagine, right? It's hateful, bigoted, angry, mean-spirited, judgmental you know, hypocritical, all those, all that stuff, really the opposite of the brand, Mm -hmm. uh, which is love, uh, which is a a huge problem, right? And, and when you look at, you know, we talked about the emerging generations, Gallup did a study in 2001, where they asked people in that generation, young adults, so people in that young adult age group in 2001, how many had a, did they have a positive view of Christianity? or a negative view, meaning did they see Christianity as a positive force for good in the world or a negative force for good in the world? And in 2001, 60, a little over 60% of people in that generation, including many who didn't claim to be Christian, still said positive force for good in the world. Um, In 2021, 20 years later, they did the same study, different people, right, but same age group. So now that age group now, 20 years later, Gen Z, 
And 37% believed said Christianity was a positive force for good, which meant 63% negative, which Mm. by the way is also the same. It's the same number, 36% who claim to be Christian. So essentially Gen Zers who claim to be Christians were positive about Christianity. Virtually every other person in that, in that generation believed we're not just neutral, but, uh, like a negative force for good in the world. We, mm. We're making our world worse. And we've got to ask us, ourselves the question, how did that happen? And I, I know we don't get any help from media. We don't get any help right. from Hollywood. We don't get any help from, you know, lots of news outlets and all that kind of stuff. I, I understand that. But maybe we need to be present in those places. And that's where I think that God has, you know, we ask what went wrong. But nothing's going wrong because this is God's plan. And God is saying, okay, he, he's watching us and he's guiding us, but he's asking us to listen. And as we see our world hurting, and when we see pain, you see pain, it's getting closer to you every day. You see crime, you see addiction, you see all of these things that are coming closer to you every day. And I really believe that in this world where Roe v. Wade was overturned and all of a sudden it became abortion on demand and and Christians went, how could that happen? I'm like, God didn't let this happen without saying to you, this is not a legal issue. This is a heart issue. Mm -hmm. Let the hearts go be present. And that's what I've tried to talk to people about. And I don't know that I, I mean, I don't know if that's right, but I, I sense that God has said to us, you haven't done the right work. So now you suffer more pain and people will suffer more pain until you get it right. But listen to what he wants So I don't know. I mean, that's how I kind of interpret it. And that's what I hope that we start to look at these situations and say, we're not present. We've walked away from that. And we're, and as Christians, I think even we have been like, oh, that's not for us. So we're going to look the other way. But if you're not present there, like you are in the world, not of the world, be in the world, be present, be a light. I love that because essentially, I think one of the big things that's happened, we say what's happening in Christianity, we're supposed to be animated by love, which moves, which does move toward people. It, it is, it is in there, right? The only way to be salt and light is to be present. But if Christians are animated by fear, which I think right now we are, <laughs> then what happens in fear? We'll go back to high school biology, right? It's either fight or flight. Yep. So you either flee into your own little Christian bubble. And which just contributes to the polarization we have in our culture, right? Where you, you're in your little bubble and you talk about people outside your bubble, but you're not talking to them, which skews your perspective of them. And uh, it's not the way of Jesus. They create an us versus them. It just contributes to the us versus them thing that's happening in culture. One of the greatest ways we could stick out as Christians is not do that mm. and not create an us versus them mm. world, but to move toward, you know, get out of our bubble and move, right? So, but in fear, that's what happened. Or, and, it's either and or, you choose fight. So you go into fight mode because what well, we believe, we believe to be true. I get that. But you, but if you, if you exhibit truth through fight and you come at people, push, people are repelled, just like we would be repelled, right? right. It, it never works to do that. And so we've solved the problem. It's not fight or flight. It's light. <laughs> there you go. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and the Bible says that uh, love casts out all fear. So if you, you know, if you're, if you're relating to culture and love, not fear, then you won't fight or flight. It casts out fear. Uh, yeah. You'll, you know, you'll move toward culture. And, and I think Christians have been, you know, I mean, Paul told Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity. Uh, but of love and power and a sound mind, right? So uh, we have truth. We have God. We have the Holy Spirit, right? And there, and we can, in a compelling way and all that, we don't have to play defense. We can move toward people. We can be in environments. That's why I love the fact that there are fellow Christ followers like you who are willing to be involved in politics. Um, I I don't want to see the church politicized. That's another cult. That's another conversation. 
but I do right. want to see Christians engage in politics, but I do want to see Christians engage in politics, be right? Present. To, be, to be present, to be salt and light there and to represent Jesus there. We need way more of that. And, mm. um, and there's, there's just far too little of it. And so, you know, if you, if you relate to culture out of fight or flight, um, no wonder we're not seen as loving because, well, we're actually not being loving. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I could honestly talk to you for hours. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping you'll come back sometime because this has been a really fascinating conversation for me. And it was really, I me really too. did go into this and think, I don't know where this is going to go. And before I came in here, I was like, okay, God, you just speak through me because I don't know how to have this conversation, but I learned a lot. And I hope that the people listening got a lot out of it. I think they, I think they will, because I'm going to think about this for a long time tonight. So Jeff Jones, Pastor Jones, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. And oh, tell people where they can find your book because you have a book, right? I do. Rebranding Christianity. Yeah, you can find it on Amazon and some bookstores, but you can also learn more. There's a podcast as well if you go to rebrandingchristianity.org. Okay, so you can listen more. Pastor Jones, thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you all for joining me for the Tudor Dixon podcast for this episode and others. Go to TudorDixonPodcast.com. You can subscribe right there or check out the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcast. Join us next time on the Tudor Dixon podcast. Have a blessed day. My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'll be taking you on a journey to find the mysterious media mogul Matt Drudge, founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who have worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. Hopefully, he'll even sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another round. We had a big bear of a man, he's called Mal Evans, who's our roadie, and uh, I was coming back on the plane, and he said, will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. <laughs> I said, what? Salt and pepper? Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.